Let's talk JMMA with Charlie Jewett from sogo-kaku.com. This is a podcast about the deep end of Japanese combat sports scene. I'm your host, Shu Hirata from On the Road Management. Now, let's begin. Hey, good morning. Let's begin. Yeah, I'm hearing something else here. Okay. All right, there you go. Hey, good morning. Let's begin. I'm hearing something else here. Okay. All right, there you go. Are you hearing something? Hey, good I'm hearing the intro going on loop over and over. Yeah, hold on. Why is that? Let's see. It's Are you hearing something? Hold on. I'm hearing Okay, there you go. Sorry. Hi, good morning, Charlie. Good morning. How are you doing? Good, good. Good morning, everyone in Asia, and good afternoon, and good evening, almost everyone in the rest of the world. And I must apologize first that I had to push the podcast date for two days this week because I had my wife's green card interview yesterday. Mm -hmm. (laughs) How's that going? Yeah, and actually, day before the interview, of course, I had to meet the lawyer, and of course, I always have something missing, and I had to get my document notarized. And yeah. let me ask you this. Have you ever notarized document, um, English documents in Japan? I have not, no. I don't, I'm not a registered notary or anything. So how would you do you that know, in Japan? Exactly. So you have to go to notary, your registered person, right? And that right. is only available in probably the embassy. <laughs> Usually that costs oh. a couple bucks in the States, but that costs 5,000 yen in Japan. Oh, really? Yeah. Because I feel like when you go to the U.S., almost every bank branch or... Most places like that have someone that has a notary license. Right, right. Yeah, or UPS and places like that too, yeah. you know. But anyway, so I had to go and find so-called 24-hour traveling notary man available in Manhattan. <laughs> who you call and they'll show up within 30 minutes. Really? Yeah, and that person charged only $45. So it's nice. cheaper. <laughs> you know? That's pretty crazy, yeah. Yeah, it is crazy. But anyway, so let's dive into the first subject. Yeah. Now, Let's you let's talk about since we just talked. Let's talk about Rising Thirty Two Additional Car. Why Bobby Olegon now? Mm-hmm. Again, I would say. I mean, you, you just mentioned there's two American guy in the Rising Thirty Two show. I think there is more than two because there's a couple of oh. base guys and isn't Bay Noah also on the card? Oh yeah, that's right, Bay Noah. All right, all right okay. Uh, but the new one, the, I think the most draw, of course, for the Japanese fans are Bobby Olegon, who is. What, like 42 years old? He's pretty old. Uh, he's 55 years old. Oh, he's 55? Yeah. <laughs> Remember, he, he famously got caught lying about his age oh, yeah, on, like, right. yeah, on like okay. official documents. It wasn't like he was on TV saying he was – like his official Japanese documents, he was lying about his age. You know, I, you know I'll be honest with you. I do not follow his career. <laughs> but all I right. know is, like, even though he pretends like he doesn't really speak Japanese, he makes, like, real funny Japanese mistakes, but he's a fluent in Japanese. Yeah, so, so everything is an act, right? My wife was watching it, and she's not a Bobby Olligan fan, and she was just oh, like pissed yeah. off. She just got more and more pissed off because he was doing that whole like I don't speak Japanese thing. Right, right. Like, everybody, everybody knows he speaks Japanese. Oh, everyone know knows he speaks fluent Japanese. He speaks I know. Perfect Japanese. Right. Everybody knows that too. And the funny thing is, I don't know if the American or you know, over non-Japanese fans noticed that or not, but one of the Japanese comedian was at the press conference. Mm-hmm. Ask many, many questions of to Bobby Olegon about 
oh, are you going to beat up your opponent like how you beat up your wife? And yeah. how much are you getting? And I heard you. Takamara got pretty upset about right. that. And he was supposedly told at the, some variety show that he's donating to some charity, most of his fight purse. And people so, were like, oh, so didn't, didn't right. that guy respond by saying, like, what charity and how much are you giving? Right, exactly. Right. Um, I'm pretty sure that Rising is paying him decent because he's a draw, right? So, right. But you got to feel like there's also got to be some, I imagine there's got to be some sort of discount that attracted them to him mm-hmm. because the domestic violence charges last year, he was the narrator of a very popular TV show called Why Did You Come to Japan? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He got, he got fired from that job and they did like a whole trial series. They're looking for a new narrator. But um, so essentially, I don't think he's working. So I think he was uh, more than happy that Rising called and offered him this. Hmm. But what I've noticed is it's nothing like the United States where I think most people really don't care about the domestic violence stuff, it seems to be. And it does seem like there is some interest. It seems like it's younger people that I used to manage a gentleman named Mr. Will Cho. Mm-hmm. And like a week before his second UFC fight, I forgot the name of the media, but somebody out there broke the news about how he got into trouble with domestic violence, domestic violence about like three, four years ago in Florida. Right. It was already done deal and everything else. And that wife who was a victim on that case said it's no big deal. But still, UFC released him. They didn't even give him the second fight. Yeah. But now look at John Jones' case, right? I mean, <laughs> I don't remember the exact details, but didn't the same time as John Jones, the guy that they went Pena, um, like angry Bob Ross. Right. Yeah. Actually yeah, yeah. did the same thing and they fired him, but not John Jones. Yeah, exactly. And of course they can't fire John Jones now, right? Cause he could easily right. go to Bellator or any competitor. Right. Of UFC, go wherever he wanted to go. Obviously. So if you're that good enough, you could just do pretty much anything, you know? Right. Mm-hmm. Well, the Bobby stuff, too, is interesting because it wasn't just the wife domestic violence where I think it was bad. I think she, like, had a broken bone in her face. Mm-hmm. But um, he's also, had, like, a history of, like, attacking other people. I think like, he attacked his manager. Yeah, that, he, yeah he, he, like, demolished, like, some management's office and stuff like that in the past. Every t- He always plays, like, he seems to really lean, lean, lean into, like, the, oh, I didn't know what I was doing. Uh, like, just kind of, like, the his own like comedy character of like being trying to be stupid. Yeah, exactly. Even though, right. That's when it comes to the point that he lies, right? He, he yeah. pretend like he doesn't speak Japanese, even to the police and the, the you know, in the public about the yeah. incident. Yeah. You know, so he think he could get over with anything pretty much. Right. Yeah. And I always think it's funny that people always mention the fact that he's like a K one fighter, but I mean, he fought more K one one time. He's like, as. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's uh, quite the label to get for fighting in the promotion one time. Right. But I'm telling you right now, I mean, I think the rumor has already broke that Rising, Rising uh, Landmark Show has sold 80,000 pay-per-views, somewhere around there. And how much was that pay-per-view? Was it like $50? I think it might have been a little bit cheap. I think it was like around there. I can't quite remember around the exact there. numbers. Yeah, but that's still, if you do 50-50, right, between the two promotions and then you, you next, that's a pretty good take for the rise in. That's about $2 million. Right, right? exactly. I mean, yeah, on four fights. Not even counting the, 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 the super expensive tickets they sold. 
Right, exactly, right. So I think they have realized that, you know, it's finally, I have to say that Rising has found the source, which is to make more money from the pay-per-view share instead of actual gate, you know? Okay. I mean... Can we also say that the Landmark show, I don't think it, it could not have gone better. Oh, yeah. Because all of, what, all but one of the fights ended in very dramatic, like, so the first three fights were all dramatic finishes. Right. And then you had the uh, last fight, which was two very popular fighters. And so it just was kind of the per. it went, like, if you want to have a launching event for a new type of event, it was the perfect one for them. Oh, yeah, exactly. Right. But the point I'm trying to get into is because the Oregon and all these guys who is in the additional card of the Rising 32, they, I think Rising realized that they need to create a character that could sell the pay-per-view. And, right. You know, yeah, I mean, it's not like a UFC is different, right? UFC has this UFC strategy. It's about the branding of UFC and everything else. But the Rising, I think they're more about the individual, obviously, because if they right. don't have a Mikuru, they would never get that kind of number. So they need to create next, second, third, fourth Mikuru. Well, also, um, this reminded me, unrelated to that, but it reminded me, Rising is all about discount celebrities. Uh-huh. And um, this isn't the first time something like this has happened. Oh, yeah, Are you familiar yeah. with the Japanese TV show at Ametok? Yes, yes. The host of Ametok got fired, essentially, because he was doing deals outside of his management company. Mm-hmm. And he was like, a after that, when he had no job, he was essentially the guest ring announcer for a rising I remember event. that. I saw him there. I was there at that show, right? I was yeah, kind so of shocked to see him, you know? I feel like Rising is always waiting on the sidelines for like a celebrity to mess up. And they're yeah. like, all right, we can get this guy for cheap and use it to boost our pay-per-view numbers, our YouTube numbers. And when we're done with it, just cast him aside, kind of. You know that you know this has nothing with JMMA, but I kind of half feel bad about that. I'm a talking incident because most of the comedian at Yoshimoto they get ten percent, and management takes ninety. Yeah. So you know, it's almost like a mutual understanding that they to take job outside the management. Right. And you know, come on, lots of times in Japanese world of night business, you do sort of get involved with somebody who's involved with the yakuza. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, it just sounded like a weird situation to me where it sounded like he was just trying to get a little side hustle going on mm-hmm. to make some actual money and people got upset about it. Uh, well, let's see. I mean, Daniel is saying, hold on, let's go back. We got a comment. It's a common problem for African athletes, for example, when they're going to Europe to play football, they often have some problem with their ages. Meaning, okay. Yeah, because um, I think one of the time, I'm not 100% the biggest Bobby Oligan fan, but there's some legal incident where they discovered he lied on his Japanese paperwork about how old he was. <laughs> but you know, it's so funny. I'll tell you this on the record. I bet you the Japanese city hall workers, when it comes to something outside Japan or something outside the Japanese language, they just don't want to check it. They don't even want to deal with it. <laughs> so why do you think you wanted to be younger? Do you think he thought it looked better for when he got jobs or first i think so I, I think he, yeah I, and also not only fighting i bet you he was thinking about his entertainment career right yes and in japan i guess it's better to be younger right i mean in general yeah mm-hmm. yeah i mean most of the female so-called idols you know in the beginning you know they used to kind of lie ages even like two three years you know mm-hmm. 
just seems less common with a guy, but I have heard about it with some athletes, especially some like Cuban boxers. And sure. um, apparently, according to the comment, Nigerian athletes playing soccer as well. Right. Now, how much do you know about Ologon's opponent, Mr. Katsuya Kitamura? Must have most important, isn't he? No. Oh, well, there's Jamie's comments. Yeah. He <laughs> has a quite amateur wrestling background. Oh, I know he's a, he do? He's, a pro, he's a pro wrestler. Right, right. And so it's sort of surprising. It's, it's common for Japanese pro wrestling world to recruit, you know, the, those national wrestling champions anyway, right? So, right. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, it's kind of the perfect match because you got to remember, I mean, Bobby looks like he's in good shape, but he is 55 years old. Right. So you have to find kind of an opponent on the same playing field and you get a popular pro wrestler. <laughs> you know what? You know, I, I don't know anything about this guy, but by looking at him, he looks like the guy who competed in like world's strongest man contest. I mean, really. I mean, he's, yeah, he's much bigger, right? Because they talked about some weight at the press conference. Some reporter asked about Ologan's weight, and he made a mistake. He misunderstood that they were talking about Kitamura's actual weight and blah blah blah. Interesting. Yeah. yeah so it, it's at 120 kilograms. I mean, that's yeah, absolutely it's, it's huge. Like open weight, right? That's essentially what is that's close to like 250 pounds. Yes, <laughs> very giant weight. Yeah. And Bobby yeah. doesn't look like he weighs that much. But, well, anyway, but I think they're they're trying to build Bobby Olagon again for maybe next rising landmark talent. You know, they're gonna right. keep pumping up those talent to to do you know score numbers through Udex. And uh, Daniel said landmark was two to three thousand yen. So even though it was three thousand yen, I think each would take home about one point two million dollars. I think if you sell eighty thousand, yeah. you know. Well, also it's. I think you're exactly right about the pay-per-views, especially mm -hmm. that Landmark 1 was such a success. And I imagine that Landmark 2 will be more successful because I think a lot of people didn't buy Landmark 1 because they were like, right. oh, they'll just put it up on YouTube. And then they it's never been put up. Those fights were never put up on YouTube. No. The only way you can see those, even parts of those fights, is to watch the Rising Confession video. Exactly. Now, so, let me ask you this. That trigger event, is this going to be on Fuji Television? No, right? No, no way. That's going to be on Fuji Television. Exactly. So where that's going to be on air? Yeah. So it would be the next probably. Be you next is the same probably, right? Mm -hmm. I hope you next or maybe even some other streaming company. If I was like a Gibara, I might just discuss it with some somebody else. Why not have like a relationship with a streaming company as well? Uh, I want to apologize. I said he was fifty-five. For some reason, I thought Bobby is fifty-five years old. He's forty-eight years old. Oh, 48. Okay, yeah, but still, he's old. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, 48. I mean, yeah, well, you know, but anyway, so yeah, anyway, uh, we'll go back to trigger event, whatever. But any other uh cards on rising 32 Okinawa? Wait, wait, no, I think he is 55 years old. I he think 48, I think 48 is the year he lied and told everybody right. what he was, that he's okay. actually 55 years old. All right, well, um. I'm sorry, what would you ask? I was Any other fight card on Okinawa 30, uh, Rising 32 show that you're interested in? I mean, obviously, I'm interested in the Rena and Miyu fight. Yeah, of course, right. Kind yeah. of, it's kind of like the perfect timing for the rematch because it was Miyu's very first fight that they fought. Mm -hmm. And Rena has also come a long way. I think it was her second pro fight. Yeah. So they yeah. both come a long way in their careers. But it's kind of hard to remove the fact that Miyu's now in her late 40s. Well, and 
I mean, age, I know she looks great, but I feel like age has to catch up to her eventually. <laughs> eventually, right. Eventually. She's, 40, she's 47. And, but in her first fight, essentially all she knew how to do was wrestle. And I feel like now she's more equipped to deal with the grappling. I think so too. I think you she's know? more equipped to deal with the grappling than Rena is to deal with the wrestling. Right. And, and the point sense. is, yeah, her ring age is not that old. So, right. And maybe but a few more years she could do it, you know? Rena has been training a lot at Miata's gym for wrestling. Mm -hmm. So it'll be interesting to see what she brings. But um, and it's also worth noting the fight is at 50 kilograms. Mm -hmm. And I know that Rena has struggled to make weight in the past. I believe she was hospitalized while cutting weight. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah. So I feel like it's 50 kilograms probably because of her. Sure. And it'll be interesting to see what happens. I think... Rena is obviously clearly the better striker. Me is clearly the better wrestler. It'll just be interesting to see where the fight goes. Yeah. I mean, of course, I mean, Rena has to try to avoid going to the ground. So I right. think it's going to be a classic style of like striker versus grappler, right? I mean, wrestler, I would say. Right? The, the first fight was weird because she caught Miyu in a choke. And it looked like me in her first couple of fights, Miyu had very little take to, um Submission defense. Oh yeah, of course. Yeah, she, she was, didn't know anything about MMA man back then. She was getting caught in arm bars from guard, and she's getting choked out. Just that's all that was happening. And you got to feel like she's more aware of that now. But it'll be interesting because it does. I do think that Miu. I think she gets tired. I think her stamina is suffering, especially in the Ham Sohi fight. Mm -hmm. It looked like she just kind of got exhausted, and Ham Sohi was able to get the TKO. Yeah, we'll see because we have no idea what kind of training she's getting, you know. Yeah. So she really have to do a real good fight camp to get her, you know, get her cardio going, you know. Yeah. Especially well, she, like a striking cardio if she's not used to, right? You know? Yeah. I mean, Miu hits hard. She has good punches. Mm -hmm. She trains at Siwu Park, who's a very good striker in herself. So it'll be interesting to see. I think she should just not strike at all. Fight like Ben Askren. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. I'm serious. I mean, why not? I mean, you don't want to stand on a guy, a girl, against a girl who's been striking for what last ten years. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know what? Another fight, actually, I'm actually interested in is this one: Tomohiro Adania versus Yuichi Miyagi. The reason for that is this: this kid Adania fought Naoki Inoue right before you know went to fight for UFC, and. Uh, we were, I was already talking to Mick Maynard about his contract and stuff like that, but this is the fight he had to take. So if right. he lost the fight against Adania or didn't look good against him, maybe he would have never gotten that UFC contract. Oh, that's and interesting. This was, yeah, it was a two-round fight, and actually this one went to the to the judge's scorecard. And some people <laughs> argue that Adania has won that fight. So it was a close fight, which I agree, but you know, so I think that's another fight that maybe fans can take a look at that and enjoy. Adania versus Inoue. Yeah. yeah. But what happened was Inoue caught, you know, Naoki caught Adania with armbar early in the first round. Mm -hmm. And I think Adania tried to escape it between the ropes, went outside and something like that. Ah. So and I use that as an excuse when I talk to UFC. Oh, you know, if that was in cage, you know, that's it. <laughs> you would have won that. <laughs> yeah. So, True, you know, yeah. Adania is pretty good. And he's from Okinawa. That's why he got booked. I right. was imagining, right? So, but overall, I mean, it's it's a decent card. It looks like it's better than Rising Thirty One. Still, is Koji right? 
you know. Did you see the uh, footage of Koji doing the pro wrestling where he finished the match with a headbutt? Oh, no, I, oh, well, that's funny. Yeah, he did that, huh? They had a pro wrestling match where some guy held up his opponent, he headbutted him, and like knocked him out. Yeah, that's that's too funny. He's well, like leaning into it now. You know, but again, I think Rising Thirty Two looks better than Thirty One in terms of. But fight. will, but yeah. will it deliver? Because Thirty One delivered. Right. Exactly. That's why. Actually, I want to talk about Thirty One now. I think we need to talk about Saori Oshima since her fight against Kana Sakura is scoring what second highest YouTube viewership right now out of highest, highest. Okay. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's, it's actually pulling ahead. It's not even becoming close anymore. You know, I think many general fans are just surprised that Oshima was that good. But I think right. most of the yeah people in the industry knew that she's pretty solid or more than solid. She's got a very good background, right, in judo. Well, I'd say that. It was kind of an interesting matchup because I would say that I would say even people in the industry were surprised at how it went. Mm. I think the thought process was Saudi Oshima is very good, and but she's never fought anyone at Kanasaka level right, in that that level, right? So you really don't know how good she's going to be. And then there's always the nagging concern that Kanasaka also fights at micro, not Kanasaka. Saudi Oshima also fights at microweight, right? Ninety-five pounds. Fo- She's 4'11". Right. And so she's only been doing MMA for two years. Mm-hmm. Let's see how this goes. And she, it was a split decision. I don't think that was fair. I think Saudi Oshima essentially dominated the fight. I thought so, on, too. I thought when she was on the bottom. Three zero, right. Even when she was on the bottom, mm-hmm. she, it was like the rare Boss Rutten title match victory where even when she was on the bottom, she was scoring all of the points. Mm-hmm. And... She completely frustrated Kanasaka as well. Oh, I know. And, you know, I think it's kind of obvious that just that Saori is a superior athlete mm-hmm. as a combat athlete. I mean, her technique is much sharper. And well, that's it's what I was hard talking, to beat that, yeah. That's what I was talking to my wife about and some friends as well. I was saying that the weird thing about Kanasaka is that mm-hmm. Kanasaka was a wrestler, but she wasn't a super high-level wrestler. Mm. Well, she was never, yeah, yeah. She didn't like go to college for wrestling. No, she wasn't going to national tournaments and doing well. Where Saudi Oshima was a very high level judoka Mm -hmm. and went to the same university as Miki Motono and Kana Watanabe for judo. I think she has her judo career was 20 years long. And I think she actually did win when she was a junior. I think she won the national tournament at 44 kilograms. So, like, she's a very good judoka. Right, so it's a national-level fighter. Yeah, exactly. And so she, she didn't look nervous. She mm-hmm. didn't – she she went straight at Kana. And I right. thought her judo looked really good, especially for applying it to MMA. Oh, yeah, exactly. But, I mean, she already fought two years in MMA, so she knows how to do it, obviously. Right. right? And mm-hmm. Well, I was kind of worried as well because she fought Siwoo Park twice. Mm-hmm. And – in both fights, it's very clear Saudi Oshima's weakness is her striking and not necessarily her striking. It's the fact that she's 4'11 and that she's fighting a tall striker. The tall striker can hit her. Right. And uh, Siwoo Park was able to hit her in their first fight, but in the second fight, once it got to the ground, Saudi Oshima finished it quite quickly. Well, what I was surprised about in this fight was Saudi Oshima's striking looks a lot better. And I thought she was also out striking Kana. Mm-hmm. 
And in her in her corner was Rena, so it's very clear that she's been working with Rena a lot on her striking. But I think it's the best thing for the atom weight division, the super atom weight division, is to get some fresh young blood in there. Oh yeah. Because outside of Kana and Hertz, Emi Fujino, who's close to 40, if not 40, I think she's 39. It's Ayaka Hamasaki, he's 39. It's uh Miyamoto's 47. It's Rena who's close to retiring. So I think this is what the rising division needed. Right. So it's great. Even though Shaori is so much smaller, but with her skill set, she should be able to hang in there. Her grappling looked unreal. Right. I thought it was looked really good. And um, she's got some unique branding perspectives. She's a mother of mm -hmm. twins. Yep. And I think, I mean, my wife and her friends, none of them like Pon, it's no secret, none of them like Ponchon Rena. Because they think why, why is that though? <laughs> they think Panchan Rena tries too hard to be cute, and they like the fact that Saudi Oshima is a mother who has two kids and is like doing this whole like work-life balance while also doing really well. You know, I kind of feel bad for Panchan. Panchan and when the girls are cute, she tend to make a lot of enemies, right? <laughs> yeah. Well. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna comment on that. I'm just saying that what I've noticed is a lot of the female fans, not a Panchan Rina fan, but I think Panchan makes up for it with other guy friends, other guy fans. Right. Well, here's what it is. But still, like, go back to Oshima. I think she's a solid talent, and mm -hmm. even like, I mean, 105 in the Invicta division, he, she should be able to do all right. You know. Well, before this fight, I would have said. That the biggest women's story in Japan was Seika Izawa. Mm -hmm. But now it's very clear that the biggest breakout star for women Saori now. is yeah. Saori Oshima. Right. Because she won four fights this year. She's a champion in two divisions. And she just went up to Rising, won the biggest fight of her career, which is now the most viewed fight from that event. Right. And she's pretty much guaranteed a return spot at Rising. Oh yeah, she's got. They had to take her back. Yeah, but you know, right now the bottom line is the rising with the landmark and trigger shows. They gonna have like a twenty shows to fill. So, like right. how they brought up Momoka, who lost to Panchan, they're gonna like keep using fighters. They have to. Yeah, yeah it's know? lot, especially with the pandemic. <laughs> they oh, yeah. have to keep using people. Right. So now, then, you know, I want to talk about this. So, rising thirty-one delivered. Right. I mean, all the fight, mm -hmm. there were good finishes and everything else. And let's talk about this new featherweight champion, Ushiku. <laughs> yes. What do you think about him? And what do you think about this whole situation? Well, he's kind of – I feel bad for him because this whole event was like an ill-conceived notion to crown Saito as some, like, great champion. Mm -hmm. and they did, like – they went the whole route of, like, making him the poster. Right. And I think the subtext was, like, to be a champion or something was on it. And he's actually developed a fan base. And because the Koike fight fell through, I think the thought process of let's use this event to build him up. Mm -hmm. And I thought Saito was looking very good in the fight. He was throwing a lot of good body punches. Mm -hmm. But that knee landed. You can't argue that that knee landed. It was a legal Oh, yeah, blow. that knee landed. Right. So and it, under the rule, he won fair and square, right? Yeah, and he, he busted him up. That cut mm -hmm. looked nasty. Mm -hmm. and it would have gotten worse. And so I think there's this weird sentiment where people wanted Saito to win, mm -hmm. and people thought he was winning, and they were kind of upset the fight got stopped. But 
I think it was, it was obviously rightfully stopped and all props to Uchiko for doing it. You know, I think Saito dominated the first round. And I think that was the reason why he was, he was stance was a little bit more forward. His right. weight, right. So he was going for it. And I think that's the reason why he, you know, he took that knee shot. I mean, if he fought and stance, stood like what he did in the first round, he would have taken one step back and avoided that knee shot. But anyway, so I don't want to like speculate, but I mean, it almost seemed like he was dismissing Ishiko at that point. Yeah, I think so. I think so. He was kind of yeah looking down on him. He thought he can finish it, right? Right. So he was ready to kind of rough him up and stuff like that. You know? And I know we talked about it in the We Are Rising podcast, but the important note is that Daisuke Nakamura beat Us- beat Ishiku <laughs> this year. So Daisuke exactly. Nakamura. Has a it's knockout like, victory from 2021 over the current rising champion. Yeah, exactly. Now here's what it is. So good finish, fans, and you know enjoyed it. And if I said this in the Japanese and Twitter and all that, I bet you all this rising fight will kill me. But I thought the whole entire show, the level of the fighters, skill sets, everything else is just a little bit below than the, any of the rising shows. Um. I would agree. I mean, a lot of the there's a lot of fighters making their promotional debut. Mm-hmm. There, it seemed like they're kind of digging around to find fighters, mm-hmm. especially the guy that fought Daisuke Nakamura. Me, that guy looks like he's. I think his record's like fifty-fifty or close to that. Yeah, exactly. And actually, there are a couple guys in the Trigger show that that looks like it's not really a so-called uh, major league talent. You know what I mean? Right. Right. So, I think as long as they delivered exciting fights, I think it's forgivable. Mm-hmm. Because yeah, Rising is just biding its time, it has to put on events. Because exactly, right. I'll tell you this: there is. I went to the. I went to some MMA gyms recently. There is like a little boom going on. There are more people signing up for MMA classes. Oh yeah, I know. So into it. actually, you know, I, you got to give Sakibara and Rising people credit because Rising is still getting a pretty good brand name establishment now in Japan, right? You know, right. Mm-hmm. so they've spent about five years now. You know, so it's kind of established, recognized. That's why now they're doing, you know, good pay-per-views, right? Yeah. And everything else. Now, here's what it is. I think, you know, even even though, okay, I'm going to tell you this. One of our sponsors, who sponsors one of our clients, recently called me and asked me for a discount for all my rising clients. And his reason was this. You know, Shu, I feel like I'm watching a deep show and just in the bigger venue. <laughs> wasn't that the whole crit? Wasn't wasn't? I mean, I think I've heard people joking that Rising Thirty One was just deep, deep versus Pancras. Yeah, exactly. So it's like it's like watching deep or Pancras shooter shows. It just happened to be in a bigger venue, mm-hmm. you know. So therefore, so I think that you know the exposure level is not that different from deep or Pancras or shooter. So I should get a discount. Was this guy's theory, mm-hmm. you know? Well, that's uh, not. I understand the caliber of fighter. I agree. But the exposure level, I think, is on a completely different. I spectrum. I said the exact same thing. Caliber of the fighters agree, but yeah, exposure yeah. level. However, the thirty-one was not aired in Fuji Television. That's true. Right, so but, that's a big difference, right, right there. But I mean, the um, what is it? The Oshima fight. What's getting close to eight hundred thousand views in one week? Mm-hmm. So I mean, they're getting a lot of views. <laughs> no, but here's what it is: that I talked about that with all my sponsors, but YouTube views. And not necessarily tells how many people watched it. Because if you like that fighter, the one person could watch 10 times. Right. Right. So 
it's it's not a like a viewing home or like a, you know like it's different from the Ravens. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's it's hard to really prove that in a way. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so interesting. Yeah. So it's it's just I'm getting again. You know, I I said no to discounts just so you know. Yeah. <laughs> it's also, the um, deal, deal, you know. I was also surprised the event sold quite well. The event sold out essentially is four thousand eight hundred and something seats. Exactly right. So I mean, the bottom line here is that it's recognized by the general public now. So it's recognized as an event for uh, a regular maybe couples to go to instead of going to some concert, right? Or go to the movies, that type of stuff. So it's good. So, but it come to the point is like, do you think this guy Ushiku is he legit? I mean, oh, he's a he's a he's a good fighter. Well, I know he is a good fighter, and but... he was the deep champion. He is the I mean, he is the deep champion. The problem is, is with this win, it was so slapped together because mm-hmm. he had never fought in Rising before. Right. I think a lot of the people are probably unfamiliar with who he is. Right. <laughs> like, this is supposed to be Saito's crowning moment. All of a sudden, this guy comes that we're not, we don't know who he is, and he wins. What the hell is going on? Exactly. That's what this makes it like, you know, I guess Rising is part entertainment too so maybe they're not thinking about making creating a ranking or anything like that but to create a ranking in the featherweight it's going to be very difficult from my point of view because in my eyes guys like horio or majima mm-hmm. which is not above ushiku you know what i mean so these guys will beat ushiku well it's weird because yeah. there is there can't be a ranking system because right Rising is like this unique promotion that essentially borrow. They have very few rising devoted athletes. Oh, oh yeah, and they oh, borrow yeah. a ton of fighters. So unless they're going to make like a Japanese, a general Japanese MMA ranking, mm-hmm. there really can't be a rising ranking. Exactly. So I mean, there's a rumor about the featherweight grappling next year, and they're mixing right. the names of like guy like even Hagira or my client right. Hiramoto, along with the other guys like Krebel, Koike, and you know like Mikuru or Majima. Korea. That's a different level of athletes there. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. I mean, I think uh, Shikaki Bar said in the post-fight press conference that the division's kind of chaos now, and he wants to do a mm-hmm. Grand Prix to kind of organize everything. And I think the good news is there are enough featherweights to put on an exciting Grand Prix, especially with Kanehara getting the big win at 31. Yep. There's some big names and some big fighters they could put into it. Right. But you know what? I would be concerned if I were Sakakibara. Like I said, now he's still like creating another source of income, which is like a pay per view through you next, which heavily relies on the younger star viewers, power. right? And star powers okay. and stuff like that. And the one of that is Kohei Hagiwara, obviously. But in my eyes, most of the guys we just mentioned, if you throw him in there on Featherweight Grand Prix, he'll get demolished. Well, I, I'm going to go on a limb and say if I was going to do a featherweight Grand Prix, I would not put Hagiwara in it, and I would not exactly, put Hidemoto, I would not put Ren Hidemoto in it, no. because Ren Hidemoto is what realistically just starting his MMA exactly, training. Right? Why throw him in with clever Koi? Exactly. <laughs> like, no, I can do this right now as an imagine Hidemoto. Hundred percent. That's not going to happen. I yeah, want so, to I mean, discuss that. You know. I mean, it, it honestly. I don't I mean you haven't told me anything, but Ren Hidamoto seems almost perfect for these landmark shows. Oh yeah, exactly right. Because he has this because um all of his tattoos, Fuji TV is gonna have some qualms. 
but he's very, very popular. And why go the Fuji TV route when you can sell pay-per-views? Exactly. And on top of that is that I think even rematch against Hagara will sell pay-per-view. It, you know, if Hagara is willing to do it. Yeah, because you, know? you do this whole story about how Hidemoto is actually training in MMA now. Yeah, and he's in states now, and he's in the te- he's a teammate of a guy who's going to fight Horiguchi in yeah. December. So, and I mean, Landmark seems like the perfect show. It's because it seems like I'm going to call them the Rise audience, who mm-hmm. essentially like the young, internet savvy fans. Yes, and they're the ones who I think would be into the Landmark cards. Oh, and. If you watch the, if you look at the crowd in the landmark rising confession, or when I was watching the event, um, there's a lot, I mean, a lot of young women in the crowd, which makes me wonder, like, are these in the whole world of influencers, when there's a super exclusive event, mm. do influ- influencers want to take pictures and be seen at this super exclusive secretive event? And is rising kind of creating this cool, subculture for the landmark cards right because they didn't even show i mean they didn't even tell the public where the venue is and stuff like that yeah. right so it's like a vip you know like a speakeasy kind of yeah uh, exactly. bar right when i was at the tokyo show there was like varying levels of influencers in the crowd and they were just like taking hundreds of pictures of themselves at the event mm-hmm. so like these people want to go to these events they want to be seen there and but going back to what you were saying, I think Kintaro would also be great for these landmark and trigger oh, cards. Oh, yeah, I think so. And that's why my next point is like the trigger show. They just announced all these additional cards. And uh, sure, the Rising has their own Rising, whatever, live entertainment platform and stuff like that. But I still feel they're going to look for another, uh, you know, yeah, place to air this. It has to, you know. What's fun about the trigger card is the whole concept is interesting. It's young mm-hmm. fighters and old fighters. So it seems like it's half veterans league, half developmental. Right. And to me, this is like, oh, this is where you put Daisuke Nakamura. (laughs) Where he should go. (laughs) Here's what it is, though. This is what I'm feeling because guys like Shoji or Rikuto Shirakawa, they're basically riding off on the tail of Asakura Brothers, getting uh, good YouTube numbers, right? Right. So putting him against Hagirara, I think they're gearing more towards that crowd. Right, right, and Shoji, Shoji's Shoji's created. You're right. Shoji mm-hmm. has created a positive. Uh, he's one of the few fighters to create a following on social media. Right. I mean, and, you know that that the T-shirt he has. He says Doko Demo instead of Dokomo. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Doko Demo means he's everywhere. Like right. he's they're everywhere. always joking about that. Right. Right. And I think the Rising Confession videos have done a great job promoting him, and mm-hmm. he's got a he's got fans. People like Shoji. Really and nice. people like Hagiwara, so I think it's going to be a. This is like the perfect thing for a trigger card, because this fight alone sells the tickets. Oh yeah, people will come to this show to see this fight. Right, and just to mention to our, our listeners that Shoji has fought a Jose Ardo before, before Ardo signed WEC. You so know, back in the Japan, yeah. Days? Yeah, I can tell you this right now because I was working for Bodok, Bodok fight as a fight team, and we signed Jose Ardo, but Bodok was falling apart, so we couldn't give him a fight. So back then, we're in a partnership with Pancras, so, so I begged Pancras to take Ardo, Tiago Alves, and all these couple of guys. That's why they were able to fight in Pancras when they were unknown. So all the Pancras fans got to see a fresh Jose Ardo back then. Did, and- Jose, Aldo, did Jose Aldo win by soccer kicks? I'm trying to remember. I, it went to the th- th- three-round decision, I think. 
I thought I remembered some old fight where he landed a brutal soccer kick, yeah. but no, but Jose Aldo almost demolished Shoji on the first round, but Shoji came back. He, oh, he really? took a lot of hits. But he was one of the like up and coming younger guy, but I knew he was tough, you know. So Shoji's a good fighter. There's no doubt about that. He's past the peak, but he found a good place in the market, right? Right. So exactly. like he found a niche over others. Especially on after his last fight with like a 20 second knockout. Well, thank you know, my God for him, right? So the point is, yeah. he's now a sort of like a, a another popular YouTuber almost, right? right? And fighting Hagura, who's also attracted underground card. Exactly. So I really think Trigger Show is going to do another streaming company. Maybe not the. Uh, oh, you think they're going to try to? They'll like try to pit companies against each other and see what what happens. Yeah, exactly. I think I think they should go with Alabama. Why not at this point? Yeah, give Alabama one show, and we'll see. You know, we'll talk about Abima later. But yeah, the Abima is an that's some interesting stuff. Right, very interesting stuff. So the oh, other thing. That I mean, is any other card you interested in in this Rising Trigger show? Yeah, if you keep scrolling down, um, okay. obviously this I mean, Strasser is a cool signing, I mean, a cool uh, addition to the card. But mm -hmm. I believe uh, Tedayama is on this card, the kickboxer. Okay, and he's got. Let's see, Fujimon. You know, I don't really follow these kickboxers. Oh, well, that's interesting. So the guy above Momoka, that's her cousin. Cousin, ah, Jean okay. Mandokoro. That yeah. is uh, um, uh, that's Momoko's cousin. So that's oh, why okay. they're both on the card together. So if you good. go down, if you go down, there's a Teddyama, and the reason that that um, maybe the okay. picture isn't up yet. That's, yeah, that's the end. Yeah, but the reason mm -hmm. I'm interested in Teriyama being added to Rising is that he's actually I think he might be on the Okinawa card, but I'll bring it up. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's because he is Hinata Teriyama's brother. Oh, okay, and. Panchan Rina has been calling out Hinata for wanting to fight her on the New Year's Eve card. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of interesting to me that there's really been rising. Rise has not been warm to that comment. Yeah, that's true. But it then is interesting to see her brother get put on a rising card, which makes me start wondering, like, is there some deal where she's saying, I'll fight for rising, but you got to put my teammates and my brother on some events in the future. Mm-hmm. Well, for me, most interesting is finally Mr. Kiichi got a fight yes. rising after campaigning through his YouTube channel for almost finally like worked. years. So is he the guy that's from like the rough part of Osaka? I'm not really sure if he's coming from the rough part of Osaka, but his brother and family has a very successful sewage business. So, okay, because I remember there's some fighter that was fighting in the UFC, and part of the UFC video was him walking around this like really rough part of Osaka where all these homeless people live, like under a bridge. I wouldn't be surprised, right? Because you know, I don't get into too much about his, you know, profile, but yeah, I mean he is from that part of Osaka, you know. And uh yeah. but he's but actually he's very successful. Um before, way before he became big time, he was already in driving Mercedes. <laughs> yeah. So I mean I was I I knew him for a long time because you know when I arranged him to train at the Strasser's place. And back then, the very first time when I met him, he was only a rookie in MMA. And he showed up in very nice white Mercedes and picked me up. So I'm like, whoa, you know? <laughs> but he's, I mean, when you look at the card, he's the one that sticks out to me as well. Yeah. being on the card. And he's... And it's too bad. He's got he, the most international competition of anyone on the card. Exactly. But the point is that he, isn't he still under the Bellator contract? 
I mean, you know, same as my client Anzai too. Those guys got signed to Bellator through Rising because of the pandemic, they're you know sitting, yeah. which is fine. But uh, and you got to think that he's been released if this is happening, or if it's just part of the Bellator Rising working relationship. Yeah, maybe right. But I mean, yeah. he's two, he's what zero and two in Bellator and hasn't fought there since twenty nineteen. Right. So I mean, maybe there's no reason for to bring him back. Maybe they released him. Who knows? Right. Yeah. So. Now, I don't even know about anything about his opponent, but uh, I'm pretty sure this is some someone that he should be able to win. Right. Yeah, his, his opponent is looking 15 and 7. Mm. So, but I mean, he's, he's a Grachan fighter who's coming off a KO in the uh, first round. But, you know, like they're really mixing up all these, not just the deep Pancras Shuto, Grachan, you know, Nexus, you know, Gladiator champions, you know. Uh, it's awesome because. Especially at Rising 31, you're like, okay, we have a fighting Nexus guy, we have Outsiders guy, we have Grachan. It's nice to see all the promotions represented. Oh yeah, and it's very and it's at the bottom line, it does tell who really is the better fighter or which promotion has the better right. fighters, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, okay, let's talk about you know I want to talk about this one because in the Japanese media, everybody's all bummed about the fact that Tenshin versus Takeru. Is probably not happening, right? Now, well, what, a boxing, a big boxing match was announced, right? Yes, Ryota Murata's uh, world title fights is announced for 29th on Saitama Super Arena, and that Saitama Super Arena is—it's not announced yet. Actually, it's a rumor. And I thought I saw a rumor where Sakaki Bar said if that boxing event happens, he will be co-promoted with Three Rising. Exactly right, because right. he does have the rights to that venue on 29th. Right. So that means is they just lost the venue. Does that mean that that this is not, this is not happening? You know, um, doesn't look like it. No, <laughs> that's what I saw too. Because this was supposed to be K one versus Rise, like all out war, and that's why K one's show in November had not many top K one fighters announced on that card. However, right, right after this rumor circulated. K1 added many, many top fighters into that November show. So that's a clear sign that they're not really sending anybody to December Eve. I mean, December, you know, you know, New Year's I mean, Eve, you know? I mean, why should things change? Rise and K1 have never been able to work together in the past, and it looks like it's not going to happen in the future. Right. I mean, but too bad that this is a big-time fight. that They yeah. would have created a lot, a lot of income on this one. They would have both made a ton of money with this fight. Ton of money because they could have charged so much money for tickets, right? And they didn't even have to do this K1 versus Rise the whole thing. No, you know, they could have just like not meaningless 10 fights, and plus this one fight on the top of the card, and that's it. Well, my thinking is just like that's probably what all the stupid little details like that are probably what caused it to fall apart mm-hmm. when they really should just only concentrated on this fight <laughs> because you know it's really clear and simple because K1 wants to get all the profit on Takeru. And of course, Rising wants to get a profit on Tenshin. So they should just go 50-50, period, on everything, right? right. And forget the other fighters. Who cares? You yeah. know, okay, yeah. Because they ain't going to count on the pay-per-views. But I guess they're, they're, not gonna, not that way. they're not going to sell a single ticket no. that Takeru and Tenshin wouldn't already sell. Right. And But here's here's what it is. I think that from K1's point of view, their biggest fear is what if Takeru loses badly? Because that's just going to create the the, the mode that okay, is not that is as good as the rising kickboxing. 
Right. Rise has nothing to lose because tension is moving to boxing. Exactly. They have nothing to lose. So is rising, right? They both right. got nothing to lose. Whereas K1 has everything to lose. Yeah. So I guess maybe that's the reason why it's, this is not happening. Yeah, but you would think that like something like maybe like a rematch clause might be able to help. But who knows? That's probably why it's not happening. That's not gonna happen. You know what? Yeah. It's so funny, Charlie. We we talked about it. I can tell this right now. You know, and they, they were still arguing about the weight. And I forget the <laughs> weight now, right? Because if it's gonna happen, you know what? Many guys told me. Everybody told me this. Yeah, but shit, that's okay. Once they agree, they will announce the fight. They go back to the table discussing about weight. Like I don't understand that mentality. You have to agree to the weight and everything right. first before you announce it. But in the Japanese fight sports, people think that way. Yeah, no, they agree. They agree to fight, so that's why we announce. Then we can go back and talk about weight. I'm like, why? <laughs> What's especially kind of sad about this, though, is that you get the impression that Takeru wants to fight. I think so too. Like he went to the right for him to go to those rising shows. I think it was very big, and he's never been one to like go against what K1 says. But within what he's able to do, I think he's made it clear that he wants the fight. Yeah, you know what? I'll tell you this clearly that in terms of the pay scale of the K1 fighter versus the guys in Rising or MMA fighter getting, it's much higher than K1. So right. K1 fighter knows that because fighters talk to each other, you know, trainers yeah. talk to each other. And so this is a huge payday for Takeru. Huge. Yeah. yeah. So well, of course he wants to do it, but yeah. They're also yeah. running out of time because I know that Japanese promotions like to promote stuff last minute, but if you're going to do a big New Year's Eve card, I feel like... Right, but here's the point. So you just said that, actually, I, I, I forgot to mention about that. The thank you just mentioned that, yes, most promotion does everything last minute. However, yeah. except K1. Ever since oh, really? it's new, under the new ownership and working with Abema, that they're the only promotion in Japan that announces card two, three months ahead of time. Yeah, that's why everything was too very odd for me that they're not putting you know they just they recently announced the additional card which is they really don't do you know yeah. yeah i just don't see i mean if it happens i'd be really happy but i just don't think it's going to happen especially now that, that boxing event has been announced no or rumored right so i mean do you think the fans everybody's sort of disappointed uh, what's the voices of the fans in japan well maybe they're happy disappointed <laughs> <laughs> because this is a big fight that everybody wants to see right, and right. it's the biggest kickboxing fight to make yeah of course it's kind of like the um floyd mayweather pacquiao situation where this is the time to make it people don't want to see this five years from now mm. well then let me ask you this besides this there's another show in japan this weekend called vtj is anybody talking about this show in japan um People are talking about it, and it was mm -hmm. kind of funny because I'll tie in several topics here. Um, one championship, their atomweight tournament, yeah, has completely fallen apart. Oh, I know, I feel it bad for them though. You know, has like the shit has hit the fan. Sure. Um, Hamsa he out with injury. They asked yeah. Denise to come back in as a replacement. Right. Denise out with injury. And then uh, Itsuki Hirata out with injury. Oh, yeah, and this is like not Sickness. ignoring all the stuff with like the being delays. The oh, she's not out with the injury. Itsuki Hirata had a fever that didn't fever, go away, yeah. and everyone knows one championship is in Singapore, which has very strict COVID protocol. Mm -hmm. So even though she tested positive for COVID, I doubt with a fever if they would have let her into the country. Right, probably why that fight was scrapped. 
And so now you go to the semifinals where two alternates are facing two fighters. I know. So I, I say all this because the tournament, the, the fights last weekend were on a BEMA, but they were put essentially on like the, the back door channel. They weren't on the main Takatogi channel. Oh, they were really? on like the second channel. They had 5,000 people watching. So not doing well. The main channel was VTJ replays. Really? How Instead many? Of, what's the viewership in VTJ? I didn't see the numbers because I was watching my TV. I only know the one championship because I pulled my I phone out to look at it. Uh-huh. But they were showing old Megumi Fuji fights on VTJ uh-huh. on the main Takatogi channel. And they had the live one championship show off on the back burner. The one so championship just, postponed the 10th anniversary show too, right? Indefinitely yeah. to January. So it's just no, interesting. It's without, it's, without Itsuki on the one show, you can see that Abima's priorities are VTJ. Right. Now, the VTJ successfully brought in one fighter from overseas. Yes. Yes, who is fighting uh, Tatsuro Taira. Oh, interesting. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I know everything about it, so I'll tell you this, but they got the special visa through Mr. Genki Sudo, who is a senator. Mm-hmm. And therefore, they got, you know, instead of going through a 14-day quarantine, they have this special strict rules they have to follow. Instead... They're only dealing with a three-day quarantine. But the VTJ were forced to rent the entire floor of the hotel, you know, make sure they were locked in, you know, staff on each, like, exit door and everything like that. So so my immediate question is, mm-hmm. the Tractor Bar has to know a politician. Why wasn't Rising doing this stuff? I think they're working on it, and I think it's going to happen for December shit. Because Genki reason. Sudo is, like, clearly the guy to call for this. <laughs> Because his whole like campaign, he's been tweeting and talking nonstop about how the pandemic right. needs to stop affecting people's work and things. Right. And I think both Mr. Sakamoto from VTJ and uh, Mr. Ito from Rise were officially, uh, did the interview about how they got worked with Mr. Genki Sudo. You know, they, they started bringing uh, over, from overseas and blah, blah, blah. Right? I think this would be a good point to also mention. Corona numbers are very low in Japan right now. Like, I think it's less than 100 people a day. Yeah. And so you should expect to see things opening up, which is probably how he was able to get this through. Well, Daniel is asking, I'm not sure if VTJ 2020 isn't just a part of a shooter's event. Um, I will say it is confusing. I was confused as well because Shuto and VTJ are run by the same people. Mm -hmm. And they're holding their event at the same venue on the same day. Right. Yeah, but it's like almost like how they do deep drill show in the morning and deep at night on the same venue, right? Right. Well, I think the problem is is the way that Shuto uses their Twitter account. Mm-hmm. They would tweet out a picture of the VTJ fight in the same tweet. They would also include a picture of a Shuto fight, and so was, well, they, were, they, were, I think those they were like mixing it together. They should have kept it separate. Right. Exactly, but here's what it is: that, uh, those uh, Shuto uh, old. The listeners who doesn't know the old Shuto, I think Shuto used to be a ring, and it never had do, did the unified right. rule. They had to the knock down rules. They have their own rules and everything else. So, but they started the VTJ as an offshoot event for the cage show. I mean, in the beginning, it was a ring for the you know to bring in Rickson Gracie, but right. later when they restarted, it, it was to do unified rules on the cage show. Right, did the Megumi Huji versus Jessica Aguilar. And I do this yeah, yeah. right now on the record. Then then stopped it. And 
you know, Shuto didn't do too well, but now they're still working with Abema TV. So under the Abema TV's backup, they have decided to restart the BTG, another brand again. I think what they're trying to do is instead of doing regular shooter shows, they're thinking about doing VTJ as like a big offshoot to shooter shows, maybe two, three times a year. Well, that's kind of what it was like back mm -hmm. in 2010, back when it was exactly right. Shooter, I mean, it seemed like VTJ was having all the big fights. Mm -hmm. But I, I understand what Daniel's saying because I was also initially confused because the way right, that right, Shuto right. was promoting it. Of course. But um, I think different tickets and stuff, right? I mean, you can't watch, I mean, you could watch two shows, but you have to pay double or. Oh, no, I think it's just, it's going to be like when Deep does a morning show and an afternoon show. Okay. It's one of those things where I imagine it's just cheaper for them to rent the venue for the whole day. Because it's probably like Shinjuku Face where you have to do the morning or the evening. Right, right, right. And they're just getting both of them. But the, it was just confusing because they were like, their promotional materials was was promoting both of them at the same time. Mm -hmm. But I think they're two separate events. Right. Now, so Kaira is fighting uh, Alfredo. Muayat from Chile, but this is at the 58.5 kilo instead of regular 125. It's almost like 130. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And nobody's really talking about the weight or anything, but I guess it's okay, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, what is the, I mean, the big fights, obviously, Cal Uno is kind of the face of Shuto and right. DJ. So it's good to see him back. But after his last fight, was such a brutal knockout loss. Right. Kind of he's really he's to do. I love Kao Uno, of course, he's a legend and everything. But again, I must say that Japanese MMA is still relying on these fighters from the nineties. And I mean I would say yeah. the early two thousands. I mean, Kanehara too. I mean, don't get me wrong, he's a great fighter, right? He's tough and yeah. stuff like that. But in his age, he's way past his peak. What the hell is other young featherweights in Japan are doing? You know what yeah. I mean? I mean I mean, I think Kawajiri pointed out a few things too, you know? Well, I think it's just, I'm just surprised you haven't seen more like damaged older fighters in Japan no. because some of these fighters like Kitaoka, Kaluna, they keep going. Right. And I don't know if I want to see them get knocked out anymore. Now, exactly. in Kaluna's case, the last knockout was his last, he hasn't been knocked out in a while, but that one was just not fun to watch for me. And if he doesn't win this fight, I think maybe he should start going like the uh, Yukondo, Daisuke Nakamura route and start fighting people closer to his level. Exactly. That's fine, too. But the problem is, like, why he keeps – I mean, really, this matchmaking shouldn't happen too often. I mean, I think younger fighters just give – just teach him a lesson that they need to go out, you know? Well, it is weird because when you're, pr when you're promoting a guy like Cal Uno – those are resources you could be using. I'm not, this is nothing against him, but those mm -hmm. are resources you could be using to promote a, a new younger talent. Oh, yeah, of course. Right, exactly. So why don't you put him against somebody they want to promote, right? Right. Mm -hmm. Or put someone you want to promote near the yeah. top of the card. Now, but is I mean, right now, because it, the fact that these younger fighters are struggling against these super veterans, that tells that these younger guys are far from so-called UFC standard. You know, well, they might even survive in contender series. What I've always felt is that the biggest problem with the Japanese MMA scene right now mm -hmm. is that you have really good fighters mm -hmm. and then you have a bunch of prospects. Yeah. But there's no middle ground. 
Yeah, exactly. And, There's no middle ground for them to grow up. I mean, to, to build themselves. Right. You know? So promotions need to find a way to start developing these fighters because I feel like if you did a top rank, top ten ranking, it would just be a bunch of people around seven, and then one, two, three. They're like, wouldn't you wouldn't be able to separate them outside of that? So they need no, to be able to build the fighters up and actually build a division, which they haven't been able to do in a long time. Exactly. That's exactly the point I wanted to talk about. This. Uh, Tyra and also Nishikawa, who's going to be fighting in VTG, they're two very young, good-looking talents. However, it's still, in my point of view, it's still unproven because they have yeah. never really faced top talents, period, in terms of right. world-class talent. I mean, they all only beat the mediocre fighters or, or their past legend who was past the peak, like Yoshiro Maeda. Yeah. yeah, that can be the good yardstick. So for this fight coming up against Tyra, against Muayat, who's from, like you know, Chilean promotion champion, right? So mm -hmm. it's not like he's like a top world class. But if Tyra has a trouble beating this guy, it's a sad news for the Japanese MMA. You know what? <laughs> yeah, um, I agree. And I was thinking the same thing because I went to the deep shows recently mm -hmm. and they have some good looking prospects, but I would like to see those guys gradually fighting better and better talent. Yeah, so exactly. Uh, and then you can actually see how good they are. It's like the it's. Kind of like going back to the Saudi Oshima fight. Nobody knew how the Kana Asakura fight was going to go because mm -hmm. Saudi Oshima had never fought anyone close to that level before. Right. But you know, by looking at her, it's kind of obvious she's a pretty solid athlete. Yeah, right. of course she's small, short, so that's the biggest disadvantage. But hey, you know, she'd be fine, you know. Yeah, and because um one of the guys was in Ray in deep Ray Sudaya. He's mm -hmm. like the son of the coach of Paresta. Right. He, I think he's 3-0, and so he's just starting out. He's a good-looking prospect. Mm -hmm. I want to see them. And he, but the problem is, does him smashing a bunch of people in the first round right. develop him into a good fighter? Exactly. But I think I think Saikia knows that. So I think he's going to start matching him up against somebody a little more yeah. solid. You know? You have to do that, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, Cor but, there's one somebody asking... Uh, why waste money bringing in a fighter from Chile? Well, oh, because it's super cheap. I mean, would it be cheap? how much are you paying a guy from Chile? Well, I, I know all of that, but I tell you this: why it is important for VTJ to bring a fighter from overseas? One, because you have to attract guy like Tyra Nishika to stay with VTJ. I mean, obvious. When Rising was planning Okinawa show, of course they want to book Tyra. He's the biggest name in Okinawa now, but decided to stay with the VTJ. And part of the reason, because he's ready to fight non-Japanese. That's something that Ryzen couldn't deliver for him. And there's a few other reasons, too. But So, yeah, just to answer your question, I think that's the one reason why I wouldn't say they wasted the money, but they wanted to go out and reach out and establish a new, uh, to, you know, get a more overseas market, you know? Well, isn't the old, essentially, Japanese method of, building stars that you have them fight internationally. Yeah, fighters. exactly. And I thought this right now. I talked to Abema and stuff. So I thought on the record, I do always recommend this them to go and develop your own market in terms of discovering fighters because yeah. right now, ever you go, UFC takes the best guys. Or the other top guy wants to go to UFC, right? Mm -hmm. So you have to find somebody who's, I'm not saying doesn't want to go, but not ready to go for next at least two, three years. Or... Yeah. Old, but good, but too old to get there. Kind of stuff. Yeah, you know? exactly. yeah, no, exactly, there yeah. are interesting fighters out there, and I always tell this: you have to look into Brazil, because 
even though Brazil, like people say, oh, dime a dozen, and there's a bunch of guys. Tell right now, still, there are a lot of good talents there. And they're dying yeah. for opportunity. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, so Chile but isn't then- even a top 50 MMA country. Yeah, of course. But you have to understand that to get a special visa during the time of the pandemic, you have to choose the countries that is very has a good relationship with Japanese government to begin with. And it's really a handful, actually. Well, also, it's just, I mean, who's available? There's a lot, probably hundreds exactly. of Exactly. You'd be there. surprised. I actually, we really tried to book uh, Nishikawa's opponent from America, too. But a lot of people doesn't want to travel far right now. And, you know, I'm telling you right now, most of the like, European country or, or the South, you know, like, like in industrialized countries, fighter wants to go to UFC. So mm-hmm. they don't want to take risk fighting a pretty good guy you know, taking a flight 20 hours out there, right? You know, going through mm-hmm. quarantine, far from home. So you, you'd be surprised, you know, that, you know, you might think, oh, if it's a fight opportunity in Japan, you know, a fighter will immediately jump onto this opportunity. It's not like that now. <laughs> so do you ever see an, a, a place where Abima kind of replaces Shuto with VTJ? Or do you see them as always having both on? I think you always have both. Okay. You know why? Because Shuto is the name they need to keep because they have a very good uh, national wide network of amateur shows, mm-hmm. right? And yeah, so I think eventually I have a feeling the sh- amateur shooter shows and there's a shooter and the real top guy does the once, twice a year big fights in VTJ. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. And remember, not only the VTJ, you know, like you mentioned, Abema has a very good relation with one championship in Singapore. On top yes. of that, they have a very good relationship that the reality show Dreamers right. with you know, LDH. And I re- I'm telling this right now, like I've been telling this over and over that five years from now, um, I would say half of top MMA fighter probably will come from that Dreamer show. <laughs> I, I, I'm telling you, I'm looking at all these times. They have very, very good times out there. Yeah. Yeah. I would say, oh, and or from the team Brave by Mr. Miata. <laughs> He's doing very well. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. He produces champions after champions. Yeah. Right? I mean, oh, yes, Very high on that gym. Yeah. He's also so, made some interesting choices with teaming up with Triforce. Oh, yeah. They seem very open. I mean, back in the day, Japan was just, this is where you train. You don't go to other gyms because this right, is your gym. Exactly. Yeah. And I've noticed a lot. I mean, a lot of AAC fighters train at Brave, too. Mm-hmm. And I, we interviewed Saudi Oshima, and she was saying that, which I didn't even think of, AACC only has classes at nighttime. Yeah, because you know, I mean, most everybody works during the day, yeah, yeah. and so it's kind of a remnant. I mean, I'm not, it's not rare, most MMA classes in Japan are at nighttime because most yeah. everybody works, and most and, MMA gym don't even open before 2 p.m., <laughs> you know, right? But now what's happening is because of rising and rising sponsorships, certain fighters are now able to train full time, mm-hmm. like Rena isn't. At, Rena isn't answering phones somewhere. Rena is training full time, mm-hmm. <laughs> and so is Miyu Yamamoto. And it sounds like me, Saori Oshima. And so, what do they do? Okay, well, they can only train at AC, AC at nighttime, so they're going to Brave during the day. They're training in places like that. They're going to boxing gyms. So, it's interesting to see that it's now that more and more fighters are finding success, they're actually starting to be able to train full time. No, I'm telling you, it's a very good, exciting. It's a good thing you mentioned that. The very first thing I talked to when I 
when Naoki signed the contract with the UFC is this. I got to get you into a situation where you can train full time. It right. really is. And he was able to do that from age 19. That's a huge difference, right? Well, people always get I always <laughs> laugh because yeah. people from outside, they'll talk like maybe some Japanese fighter. This is like a hypothetical. Goes to Invicta, doesn't do as well. Mm-hmm. And they're all like, what's going on? La, da, da, da. And my answer is always, this person like works as like a secretary at an office and trains MMA hour, like MMA like two hours a day. Like to a lot of these Japanese fighters before now, MMA was kind of like, this is my hobby. This is what I do. Exactly. It wasn't their job. Right. But now because of rising and some like rising opportunities, mm-hmm. sponsorships are getting bigger. More and more fans are coming to events. More and more fighters, I think, are going to be able to start training full time. And that'll lead to a nice, more developed fighters emerging in the future. You know, I can do this right now. Officially, I'll do this on the record. Um Except that the big names like you know, like a Toyota Tire or Monster Energy, whatever, you know, rising sponsors that that sponsors rising fighters, the prices are very very good, much better than what we could see in the states or anything like that. You'd be surprised. Yeah. So yes, I know fighters are making good money from sponsorship. You know? Right, and I mean, just because we interviewed Saudi Oshima recently, I know and I read articles. Through the sponsorship, she's able to get like daycare and kindergarten mm-hmm. and stuff like that. So mm-hmm. she's actually able to go train. Right. <laughs> so the, the sponsorship money does seem to be making a big difference. Big difference. And yeah, and uh, I can do this on the record that I'm almost ready to to start rejecting sponsor offers from sponsors for Naoki because he, um, his shorts are full. You know? Interesting. Yeah. And then just prices going up and up. And, and it comes to the point where the old sponsors we did the deal already are paying much less than the new <laughs> sponsors, so we have to try to do something about that. But you know, again, yeah. the deal is deal. But yeah, so yeah. I kind of right now sponsors much better. Yeah, well, go to a deep show. I mean, some of these young guys they go out there and the, this is gonna make a very deep industry reference, but their shorts look like Rise fighters. Right. When Rise right. kickboxers come out, they look like they have a hundred sponsors on their right. shorts. And you know, this is one thing about kickboxing in Japan. The bigger kickboxing in Japan, they they gave up on making money on the fight purse, you know, because the promotion <laughs> is so goddamn. They all wear like the coat that has yeah, all the sponsors down it. All, they they have this wide network of selling tickets or local sponsors to, to make sure they can make good money. They're not relying on the fight purse at all. Well, that's what's kind of funny because when you like follow the fighters on social media, when Momoka was doing the fight beforehand. It's like all of a sudden you saw like making the rounds, like going oh, to all these restaurants and taking pictures with people and right. like handing out posters. And a lot of these fighters that have long careers have developed giant. I mean, the best example is Koji. Koji Koji's, yeah. Koji's dad has like books this big. Oh, I like, know. Filled with names. I'm sorry. Filled with like names. These are the people that buy our tickets. And it's like, we are our own business. We make our own money. We don't take the fight money. You know what? I mean, I remember, you remember Satoko Shinashi? She oh, yeah. was known for selling so many tickets, like hundreds and hundreds of tickets, right? But she has so many sponsors. I remember every time she writes a thank you card to each sponsor or each person who bought a ticket, and each postcard, she personally wrote the calligraphy and everything else. Yeah. It's like one of a kind. And, and that kind of care, you know, establishes this long-term relationship, you know? It's funny that you say that because... I interviewed her like 10 years ago and I thought she was a genius because I didn't know about any of that. And I met with her and um, she makes her own postcards. 
Mm-hmm. And it's usually like a pretty like like they're all like crazy. Like one of them, she had like a giant yakuza tattoo holding a samurai sword, yeah. and she keeps the addresses of and the names of everyone that buys her tickets. And so when a show's coming up, she would send everybody a postcard and be like, "Hey, thank you for always supporting me. Just so you know, I have a fight coming up in a month. Here's the details, and I'd love it if you came to my fight. If you want a ticket, please contact me. I'll sell you a ticket." And Satoko Shinashi must have just been a gold mine. Oh, yeah. <laughs> because a lot of fighters, like Panchan Reina, I know, sold a ton of tickets on her own. But Satoko Shinashi was like going above and beyond to like develop these kinds of relationships. Yes. And I think Sakura was doing something similar where Sakura had a giant fan base, but then she went kind of crazy. <laughs> so we haven't, I don't know if we're going to see her again. Oh, I know. Right. Yeah. So, no, yeah, like, like some fighters, except kickboxing in Japan, they're very good at that. Yeah. yeah. Well, they realize that they're smart. They realize that why am I getting fights for this promoter? Why am I getting attention? It's because I sell tickets. Exactly. Right. And the point is, forget the fight purse. They keep their ticket selling money and they say, like, oh, we'll, we'll balance it out. Yeah. You know? They don't even oh receive money from the promotion. So this is unrelated, but we've already spoken about them briefly. So one championship. Mm-hmm. Did you see these exchanges or like the comments? It's kind of older, but from Urson and uh, Shinyaoki. What, what were they talking about? I think okay, I so that. I only I think this happened after Itsuki's last fight in the promotion, okay. so back in September. But mm-hmm. I only remember it because on YouTube, Abima has a Kakutogi channel, like an MMA, like a fight combat sports channel on YouTube, mm-hmm. and they make awesome content. And they recently uploaded a video of Itsuki training with Aoki mm-hmm. and talking about like how strict he is and everything. And in the clip, they show. Aoki is like the worst slash best commentator of all time. Mm-hmm. Because when he commentates for 1FC, he A, says whatever comes to his head, mm-hmm. has no filter. And when he was commentating Itsuki fight, he was just openly coaching. Right, right. he was criticizing. Right, yeah, I remember that, right? And Instagram, the Urson talked back, right. Yeah, and so during his commentary, Arson, Arson, Arson's like giving Itsuki this advice. And Aoki's in the commentary booth, like, no, don't do that. That's terrible advice. He's like, just saying, like, essentially criticizing Urson as giving what he said was terrible advice. Because, like, Itsuki would do something and he would say, like, oh, good job, keep doing that. And Aoki would be like, no, don't do that. You should be doing something else. Or I think Itsuki and Asi broke up. Did they? No. Well, I think they might not have broken up. There might have been a rumor. It looks Uh, like they're still together. (laughs) <laughs> but and then Arsene wrote like this crazy Instagram post. Yeah, he did about yeah. like how he'd never forgive and yeah. all this stuff. And then Alki, always being Alki, had to poke him and be like, "What did I do to upset you?" And but the whole thing, I'm just listening to it, and I'm just like, "A, Arsene has already kind of been criticized for his commentary for his uh cornerman work in the mm-hmm. past, especially with the Miyu Yamamoto fight where right. people were like, "Who are you to give advice?" Exactly. You shouldn't be in that corner, period, at this point. Yeah. And I, all I could think was if you weren't her boyfriend and it's just only allowed to bring one fighter as her second, I would have brought Miyu. Right. Or, or he should have brought a proper coach. That's what yeah, it is. Exactly. Why would bring a boyfriend who has like almost no experience raising or, a new fighter? She has a relationship with Aoki. Have him do it. I mean, Aoki, she's, and it's funny because they got in that fight and she still trains with Aoki. And when you watch the video, say what you want about Aoki. Aoki 
you can call him an asshole. You can call him a crazy guy. He's done some weird stuff, but he knows MMA and mm-hmm. he's a good trainer. And so I would listen to what he says about being a second over or second. But <laughs> I thought it was kind of a funny beef because it was essentially some guy that has no idea what he's talking about. Right. Talking to someone who's been doing it for close to 20 years. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's, it's just funny, right? <laughs> have, you, have you listened to his commentary? Uh, not really, because it's hard to listen to, right? He has that. Well, like, his voice, yeah, voice. Right? yeah. But I just remember, I think during the Ritu Fogat and Mingbo fight, he would just kept, like one championship must not know what he's saying or not care because he was like, ah, both these fighters are so low quality. Like they don't know what they're doing. This is just like a really sloppy fight. He's just like complaining the whole time. Maybe that's part of his character, but that's good that he says that though, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, so at the end, let's talk about this last topic of the day, which you mentioned, which is Sudario Tsuyoshi's younger brother. We got into well, track with the sumo world again. Again, I shouldn't say again, but you know. Yeah. Yeah. What well, did he, 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 they found him smoking marijuana? I think they found marijuana in his house. <laughs> so he's out of sumo, like no longer allowed to be in sumo. All right. Is and he his is younger he brother? Or is, MMA? He's his twin. He's, they're twin brothers. Oh, it's a twin brothers. Oh. Yes. You know what? I, if he's interested in MMA, Sakakiba will sign him. Guaranteed. Well, I saw that he commented. Unless he's like, real, you know, shithead, you know? When I asked him about it, I thought he said, he said something to the effect of, I want to try to be the Yokozuna in the big square of the next phase of my life. Oh, people okay. are like, square? The ring is a square size. So mm. people are wondering, because what's he going to do? I mean, he's the same situation as Sidario. It's like, yeah, you didn't make any money in sumo, so you have to make some money. Mm-hmm. And what's the easiest way to make money? Oh, you happen to be the identical twin of a popular fighter now? Well, this just sounds too good to be true. I mean, Sadar, this is the kind of thing Sadario dreams about. Not Sadario, Sakakibara. Mm-hmm. The type of thing that Sakakibara dreams about is twin heavyweights. <laughs> yeah, I mean, well, I mean, he's young then, you know, if he's a twin brother. And if he has no yeah. job and he's outside the sumo, then I think it's, it's almost guaranteed he's coming into Rising then. And again, yeah. it could be a good time for the pay-per-view shows. They'd be crazy to not at least try it out, like mm-hmm. to give them some type of fight and see what happens. I mean, they can bring in the what's that that guy's Shumetov brothers from Russia. I know they can fight them, you know. No, no, no. Literally give him the same opponents. Like, <laughs> really? Put him on the same track as Dario and compare the results. That that would be kind of interesting too, right? I mean, <laughs> make, yeah, I make mean, it like it, a science experiment. Exactly, right. You know, I mean, so do they really look alike? I mean, yeah, they do. Well, they can do the tag team match too, and then well, you I mean, can switch I think it. The brother's probably. Different. I think the brother might still be fat, but no, okay, similar. right, right. You go get but, into shape, right? But here's what you do: you put him with a different coach, mm-hmm. and you turn this into an experiment to see who can create the best fighter of all time. <laughs> like if Ensign has a rival of some kind, you like Gerard Gardot or somebody, you find some guy to start training Sadario's right, right. brother. And we just see how weird this can get. That is true, right? <laughs> but I mean, so I think it's more than likely he will come into MMA then. I think he's got to yeah, come into it in some way. Has to, right? I mean, so that maybe it's not going to go work at a supermarket. Like, what's mm-hmm. he going to do? He, so he could be one of the guys in New Year's Eve. Who knows? Yeah, you know, you know because I know New Year's Eve cars are pretty much filling up. You know. Plus, I mean, Sadario probably does need training partners. 
Mm. And uh, he's a fellow heavyweight. Sidario looked really good in his last fight. I know his opponent was essentially a newbie guy making his debut. You know, but again, who, it's hard to tell with a guy like right. that. And he but I will say, yeah. it was at least nice to see Sidario fight someone who's young, who right. is an actual heavyweight. Right. And at isn't least like a, you can tell the scenarios start working on boxing. At least right. you can tell. But and like that's opponent, about it. Yeah, yeah. Saint looked like he was like strong, could move. He wasn't like a crippled fifty-year-old pro wrestler <laughs> <laughs> who has no athletic ability. Right, so, right, right. It'll be interesting to see if more of these. Because I think um, the Okinawa show also has a military guy fighting on it. Yeah, I think so. I wouldn't be surprised. So, it's I'm a big wondering story. if. Rising, it's like so desperate to find foreigners. They're gonna start digging through the barracks to find like tough guys. Well, especially for the show. show, why not? Because the military base is they'll sell a lot of tickets there. Sell some tickets, yeah. Yeah, it only makes sense. And I think it's still it's fifty percent, right? And yeah, capacity allowed. So it's like five five thousand. I think coronavirus is still somewhat the worst. Okinawa is one of the worst spots, mm -hmm. but in Tokyo area, the numbers are very low. Mm. Yeah, but who knows how many they tested too. I don't believe yeah. that whole number at all. I don't believe the low number either because no. I just think people just aren't going to the hospital. No, exactly. That's that's all it is. That's all. Mm -hmm. Right. Anyway, so we get a couple of questions and so maybe we can answer these. Uh, let's see. Why big Japanese brands don't partner with MMA kickboxing promotion? The only exception is maybe side games, but there's a lots of companies. Um, most of the major like big companies. Japanese brands is he like talking like Toyota or something? Yeah, exactly. They would never sponsor MMA because they still think it's uh, associated with the Yakuza and underground world. Yeah. And especially I hate to say this, but some of the gyms still do, you know. Well, especially since the big uh, Pride fallout was all related. Oh, yeah, to I know. They have that image. It's so hard to get rid of, you know. And and I hate to say this, but there are a lot of fighters that shows up with the tattoos. And again, I don't care about tattoos, but still, you know, major corporations they prefer not to work with somebody with tattoos. You know, right. tattoo is a sign of Yakuza, right? In Japan, you can't even go into the hot springs, you can't go into sauna, you know. Yeah, most of these places are run by extremely conservative old people. Yes, that so, too, right? It's it's really yeah. difficult, so that's why, in a way, like they, they have the plus weed, right? Like the new yeah. CBD company, and I think, uh, traditionally, Pachinko Maker has been sponsoring uh, lots of Japanese <laughs> MMA shows, oh, and they're big are... corporations. What are Pachinko corporations usually associated with? Like, uh, aren't there a bunch of like, aren't there, yeah. isn't there like a, a large organized crime element in Pachinko as well? <laughs> well, you know, I don't get into that, but uh, yeah, <laughs> the, the feels, you know, the, the, that, any those, Fujino's yeah. family have like a Pachinko parlor or something? Big Pachinko parlor chain in the same town where Naoki and Asakura brothers are from, in Toyohashi. Something in the water up there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think so too. You know, so yeah. And unfortunately, it's really still very difficult. You know. Mm -hmm. Now, next question. Now, he has the possibility of fighting twice on New Year's Eve. He should have different shorts for each fight, so twice the sponsors. You know, it's not that easy <laughs> because we have a different deal for different sponsors. And I did add like, uh, if you get to the uh, the final, they have to pay extra. You know, ah. and you can't dump all these long time sponsors just because, oh, you're not paying me extra 50%. So I'm not going to give oh, you a spot. No, nah, I you'd can't. Burn, you'd burn so many bridges. So many bridges if you do that. And many of the Aoki's not, Aoki's sponsorship is actually three different packages I always offer. Some uh, sponsor only, sponsor per fight only basis, but some sponsors are yearly. 
and yeah. sometimes also agree to pick up certain tab bills for the whole year kind of stuff. So, you know, like for example, one company is paying all his rent and that type of stuff. Yeah. So you can't say, oh, well, if you're not paying extra, I'm not going to give you this spot because it's the final, yeah. it's the biggest spot on New Year's Eve, right? So yeah. you can't dump a long time sponsor at that point. So yes, good idea, but you know, can't do that. Yeah. Okay. Taki Genji will fight Nick's plus weed sponsor, right? You know, <laughs> That'd be hilarious if they made him like the spokesman of the entire Actually, weed brand. Yeah, you know what? You know what? I hate to tell you this, but now there's a big debate going on. Says, oh, CBD is not my one. Right? I mean, I think people have to understand that CBD in Japan is different from CBD here. <laughs> well, also, it's kind of funny because I've noticed as soon as like UFC athletes start doing supplements, mm-hmm. like CBD or anything like that, all of a sudden, Japanese athletes are asking about those supplements. CBD, right. I yeah, know. Something. All those people had CBD sponsorships, so now all these Japanese athletes want CBD. <laughs> I mean, do, do you use CBD? No, I mean, I don't. I, I, I don't I'm, feel I'm more of the opinion that I, I, I'm, I'm pessimistic, and I think it's like the new snake oil of our time. Right. I where mean, no matter what you have, this will fix it kind of thing. Yeah, and I just exactly. don't tend to believe in super drugs. <laughs> right now, here, next one. Shidario was saying that he doesn't welcome his brother. He disliked doing same sports with his brother, but they did the same sports. I, I saw that comment that he, oh, he did. did. Okay. He said those things, but that that's cool if Sidario says that. But I imagine his brother, who no longer has a job, would like to make some money as well. Of course, I and mean, that I mean, except pro wrestling or became a TV talent, I think. He cannot be the TV talent because he just got kicked out of the marijuana, you know? So, our, if the comments like that, if we're building towards a Sidario versus his twin brother's showdown, mm-hmm. I am even more into this. Well, you know, that's going to be very interesting, right? I mean, I'm telling yeah. right now that Rising has to create all these, not just the competition, because UFC gets the best fighters anyway, so you can't right. really compete on that ground, you know? Right. So, to create a different brand, I think is they're doing the right thing. You know? Now, do you think... If Sidario, since his brother is an identical twin, do you think that you risk oversaturating the market by having Sidario and his brother fight? <laughs> well, I don't know how they're going to do this one, but I always say, like, even Mikuru and, and Kai, they could always use, like, a Hickson and Hoist Gracie tactics. Yeah, you know? fight different promotions. Right. Or one can be sort of like a legendary untouched that is, does only big money fights. One yeah. goes out and prove, you know? Interesting, Security, yeah. kind of, whatever, you know? Yeah, so it's, it's funny that Sidario would say that because they're both in the exact same situation. They both got kicked out of sumo for different reasons. Mm-hmm. And so I just don't see what – I mean, there's no way his brother can do anything else yeah. sports-related except this. No exactly. other sport would have him. Here's another reason to answer Daniel that, that it's hard to get a mainstream sponsor because Rising will pick up all these guys who gets kicked out yeah. of a national Rising sports. has uh, Bobby Oligan, okay. it has the Ame Talk guy, it has all these right, people. Right, right. So, so, you know, but again, you know, that's attracting the crowd there and that's attracting the pay-per-view. So, you know, yeah. uh, so we'll see. I think it's going to be very interesting next year. Yeah. yeah. Well, it kind of reminds me of what that movie Moneyball where they look at these guys and they're like, oh, you've committed this felony, but you have a lot of name recognition and we could pay you money. Not what you would, not what you would have wanted to be paid a year ago, but we can pay you some money then uh, milk some last juice out of your career before you're done. 
Yeah, exactly. So I mean, that's my that's the point because right now it's not like if you're good and if you keep beating everybody, you make best money, right? Right. That's not how it works at this point, you know. Yeah, yeah it's always been like that to a certain degree, but right now I think some I won't name names here, but uh, some fighters obviously are not that good as making pretty good money. Yeah. Yeah. So. Well, I mean, but the key example of that would be like what Souza Satoshi. Mm-hmm. made it very clear that he likes fighting and rising because he's making more money in rising than he would anywhere else. He's probably getting better results in rising than he would anywhere else. You know, I have to agree with him hundred percent. I'm not going to name, I can't, but I'm telling you right now, you know, as we all know how much entry level UFC fighter makes. And if you lose a couple of fights and get released, yeah. the money you're going to make is much smaller than the money you're making in rising. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so yeah, you, you have a right to choose your own career. You're a professional, so why not go yeah. to the place that pays you the best? You know, mm-hmm. exactly. Yeah, right. Or is it kind of like, kind of like Kayla Harrison in the PFL? I'm like, yeah, if you're gonna make a million dollars a year, no, why not just no, start right now? Right, I got you like, God, you mentioned that even Amanda Nunes too. Right now, I think being in women's 145 division may be the easiest way to make money if you have that top notch quality. I mean, you're fighting a girl who's like, why not? Like yeah. two and all, like three and all kind of thing, you know? Well, it's just like, why would she ever agree to sign with Bellator or the UFC? It's like, I'm making a million dollars a year. Right. Just doing what I'm doing. I'm in a great spot. Exactly. Well, I mean, it'd be stupid to sign for even hundred and hundred, right? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I mean, oh my God. But man, like, like I'm telling this, I'm, officially, I would love to announce all the combat sports athletes in Japan that if you think you can compete 145 women MMA, do it. Really do it. Is that top judo girl? Top. I'm yeah. telling. Don't you think so? Yeah. Because I mean, made right there. You know. It's funny too because it's split. The division that barely exists mm-hmm. is strictly split across three promotions. So it's right. like right, and they if, each have like a two fighters each on each division, right? Literally. If you so. don't think you can beat Amanda Nunes, just go to Bellator or Ryzen. Not Ryzen at PFL. And uh, become really, a champion. Any girls fighting between 60 to 70 amateur, please, please contact me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I will make sure something will happen, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah, I, oh my God. Yeah, I, I, I should start scouting girls on that. <laughs> <laughs> start showing up at like high school wrestling meets. <laughs> so what are you doing? But you know, I'm telling you right now, like, as you know, like amateur wrestling or, or judo or even kickboxing in Japan is full of talent. Full yeah. of them. Yeah. And there are girls at that weight class who could be pretty good. So, yeah. And um, it's not that weight class, but I mean, Deep Jewels, they signed a world caliber yes. level wrestler. Right. Yeah. And I'm very excited for her debut this December. And with five, and you got to think this is because of Ryzen. Mm-hmm. Ryzen has created brand recognition on TV, and fighters like Murata Kanako, right, and Kana Watanabe have both found success. Right now, o- now Ota one has found success. So now more, and it's with the Olympics, so by Olympics are over. Now the next Olympics are four years away. Right. A lot of these fighters are like, can I make it that long, or should I just switch over to MMA and start making some money? I'm telling you, wrestlers, please come, right? I mean, 145 women. Maybe, what do you maybe think? that's the fastest route to get to the UFC title fight. What do you think about Shuto Watanabe calling out Ota? Uh, that, 
I don't know. Well, but Shuto Watanabe, I got to give him credit, you know. I'm telling you, when he got signed to Rising, many fighters say he's not that good, blah, blah, blah. But he, except they know it. He's been beating everybody. Yeah. He has established himself and he created his own market, right? He's created so his own market. brand. Yeah, own brand. Popular, yeah. Right. Now he wants to fight Ota. It's going to be interesting because right now Ota is still a much better wrestler, but it's not like he's fully developed MMA fighter. So maybe right. a couple of years down the road, maybe it's going to be hard. Just the fact that Ota is much physically probably better. But right now, Shuto well, still could, could submit him, right? Well, it's kind of one of those things where it's like, if you're going to call out Ota, now is the time to do it. Because he's only exactly. going to get he's better. Before he gets better, right. Yeah, yeah. Just Before he learns how to punch. Exactly. And he learns how to defend submissions. You know, right. or to avoid getting, give up his back, that kind of stuff, you know. So, so what makes me think is that Watanabe watched the last Ota fight and was like, I could have choked him out right here. I could have choked him out right here. Right, right, exactly. All I was thinking the entire time. But I, but I thought it was interesting because I, I just assumed that since Shuta Watanabe and Imanari were going to fight as alternates. Mm -hmm. So I assumed that was what's going to happen, but maybe I'm wrong on that. But I would welcome... Shuto fighting um, Ota. It was also interesting is one thing that my friends all like about Watanabe is he always talks about his girlfriend in his post-fight. Yeah, I know. <laughs> but you got to think, like, in a world where Nisei... Now, Nisei isn't rising because she's popular in Okinawa. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. Her opponent, Aida Koga, I think this will be her third fight. Yeah. And yeah. it's just like, why is she getting... She's from Osaka, I believe. So it mm -hmm. makes sense that, but Hikaru Aono is a very much more established fighter than Nisei. Oh, yeah, I know. I don't know why he wouldn't. And she was also a very high-level wrestler. She yes. wrestled against Miyu Yamamoto and wrestled on the world wrestling scene. So I was just wondering, why wouldn't you bring her? It's like the guy making the Rising Confession videos isn't in, isn't talking to the guy that's the matchmaker. No, they, like, they, they talk. I know they do, yeah. They have a big like, matchmaking meeting every week. So I, It's just like... Yeah. Shuto Watanabe is hot right now. Why would you not bring his girlfriend in at this timing? No, I mean, I wish we know, I can explain, but there's always so many reasons. I'm telling you, there's a limited spot on each show. There's oh, a matchmaking meeting that everybody has their own agenda. <laughs> so, well, my theory is that they don't want Nisei to get blown out on, yeah. Okinawa, on an Okinawa show. Right. They're giving her a young fighter. That, that way, if she loses, it's not like a devastating loss. <laughs> That's my theory. Right. But at the same time, right now, I think they got to start thinking about, like, at least use them twice. You know, not like use them yeah. once and cut them off because they, they have a lot well, of shows now. Well, that's what I was hoping. That's what I was worried about going into the Kana Asakura Oshima fight was just that if Oshima loses this, there's a chance that she just goes that deep jewels route where they just never use her again. So mm -hmm. I was hoping that it'd be competitive fights. They'd use her again. And I didn't, I mean, she won. So I mean, I hope they use her again. I mean, I'm, it's good to see that Ohada is finally coming back to rising. Right. Cause I thought that nobody does for who fights for rising wins and then yeah. doesn't get the call back. You know, but I think it's partly because of the deep situation too. I think right. deep needs to be like, they need to function yeah. too. You know, you can't just right. kind of, he has been very active in deep. Right. And, Deep can't give all of their talent to rise no, on. I no, understand that. Right. But the psyche is heavily involved in their matchmaking, too, obviously. So, I mean, right. it's, it's something they have to balance it out, you know? Right. And I mean, 
we've said it once said a hundred times. I think Stuart Fulton said it too. A lot of these rising cards are just deep versus pancreas. Right, it is. But I think deep and pancreas get a lot of benefits from it. And I think Shuto is yeah. kind of stupid for not taking part. I think they want to go their own route with Abema in one championship. You know, we'll see. Yeah, which could be a, a long-term strategy. We'll see how it goes. Right. So who knows? You we'll know? see how much money can one championship lose before something happens. Yeah. Well, yeah. you know, I'm really hoping they'll do well next year because it's better for all the fighters. It's really our, no, our clients been sitting on deck for so many months. I, I, I don't know what to tell them. You know, I make fun of one championship, one championship a lot, but they do pay fighters. What they do pay some other fighters well, and they do do a very good job of promoting their fighters. Yes, they, there's no doubt about that. Yeah, but I do have to say that their new YouTube tactic of putting on like the thumbnail image for the women's fights is like the girls in bikinis. Oh, they do. Like, <laughs> I miss that. Yeah. Oh, they're they're totally trying to like do the sex sells to get views on these fights, and it looks incredibly weird. Well, I I heard I can't get into details, but one one championship has recently hired uh, some new personnel coming in from known organization in the states. It's for maybe creating a new maybe storyline kind of stuff, you know. Oh, interesting. Yeah, yeah. Which I tell you about it off the podcast. I'm sorry to the listeners, you know. Yeah. But yeah, this is about their, team. how is their TNT deal going? Team what? Aren't they on TNT? TNT. Uh, well, I mean, I think there is still they have to renegotiate for the deal next year. But at the same time, here in the PFL, their deal with ESPN is over at the end of this year too. So they're also talking to TNT too. Yeah. So who who knows? You know. That's interesting because. Yeah. I mean, one championship because they're in Singapore has been sit, hit so hard by the pandemic. Oh, I know. I feel bad. I mean, the government's yeah. so strict, and you can't fight the government. You know, the only promotion that I think has been damaged more is Road FC. Because oh. Road FC used to be like a legitimate promotion, right? Yeah. It's like, do they even exist anymore? Like, what's exactly? The hell I feel like they kind FC? of disappeared, right? Yeah. Right. So, wow. be interesting That's to see what happens. But let's see. I mean, I hope everybody will come back to normal soon, yeah. you know? Yeah. So we can see more exciting matchups too, right? You know? Yeah. Well, because I, I was thinking about Road FC the other day. Road FC, the Asakura brothers fought there. Mm -hmm. Right. Tom Sohi fought lost, there. I mean, I think Kai lost, right? Yeah, it's just like, Road FC had its heyday. I'd like to see it come back. It did. Right. Mm -hmm. so. All right. That's, I think we did enough for today. <laughs> yeah, exactly. All right. So we'll come back in two weeks again. Perfect. All right. And have a nice day, Charlie. And it, yep. bye to everybody. Thank you for listening. And we'll see you in two weeks. See you then. All right. Bye-bye.